Today on the podcast, we are diving into the mind of Frankie Elise. Frankie is currently working as an entertainment reporter for BBC Scotland and also is part of a violin DJ duo called Kintra. Kintra just won the Best Electronic 2022 SAMA Awards and also have just been selected to play at Radio 1 Big Weekend. Today, Frankie's going to be telling us about her life and how she is breaking through as a young upcoming DJ. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Into the Mind. My name's Harrison, and if you're watching, I hope this helps. So, I was thinking about where to start this kind of conversation, and I was thinking about the first questions that every single podcaster ever will ask you. So I thought, we'll go with that one. <laughs> where did music begin for you? Where, where did you first start DJing? Okay, well... First part of that question, where did music begin? Mm -hmm. So I guess when I was about seven, I got into a choir. Didn't actually think I was really good at singing at the time. I remember getting in and being pretty overjoyed because mm -hmm. my big cousin, who I totally looked up to at the time, got in. Um, it was Nikos uh, Children's Choir. So it was the Dundee uh, branch of it. And I got in and I was like, great, this is awesome. So yeah, I started singing and that was it. That was kind of me getting into music, I suppose. And then did a bit of violin at school. So I dabbled in it at school, started doing music theatre, uh, loved that. Got a few, you know, nothing big, but a few wee parts, you know what I mean? And and realised that, you know, it was something I really enjoyed doing. Did it at university and then, yeah, kind of just through university and going to different societies, I fell into student radio and kind of left behind the music theatre somewhat. Did a bit of a cappella, that was good. Very, um, yeah, quite, not, yeah, kind of glee, I suppose, in a way, but, or pitch perfect, sorry, even. But um, yeah, student radio, I kind of discovered that and loved it, and then that's how the DJing started, just because mm. there was decks in the studio. And until somebody really puts decks in front of you and said, you know, you don't think this is something I could do. It wasn't something I was exposed to anyway. I know now it's more common because a, a lot of people have friends that do it, but I didn't have any friends that DJs. So it was, took for those decks to be right there for me to think, you know, I'm going to throw myself into everything and like, the studio has to offer. So just started trying to learn. Did someone teach you or did yes. you kind of teach yourself? Well, I mean, I realised that teaching myself was going to take a while <laughs> um, and because I didn't really have that community of friends that was doing it, hmm. uh, it was something I just wanted to, to do on my own. I looked into DJ lessons and then I found one in Ibiza and I was like, well, should I do the lessons in Scotland or in Ibiza? <laughs> Easy choice. Yeah. <laughs> so I graduated uni and then I was just like, right, let's just treat myself. Mm -hmm. You know, you graduated somehow. You know, it was very difficult. Um, so yeah, I went away and did it a two-week course in Ibiza and came back and it gave me so much confidence that I was able to straight away start looking for gigs. And I think, mm. you know, that's what the course gave me rather than teaching myself. I think it would have been maybe been a bit of a slower process, but because I was like totally dedicated to that, learning that for, the, like, for a period of two weeks, three hours a day, and then afterwards as well. Um, so so that was it. Talk me through that process. So you go to Ibiza and then you said three hours a day. Three hours a day of DJing and then three hours a day of music production. And is someone sitting beside you? Is it like you have a teacher the whole time? Yeah, way? so there's a, there's a group of like, I think it was like 11 of us or something in the class. Hmm. Um, and then you have a teacher. So they're teaching you different skills on the decks. And then we had an Ableton teacher who was teaching us how to do different things on Ableton. Quite basic stuff, hmm. but like, you know, we were all pretty much beginners or had little experience. Hmm. But it was great. Yeah, it was, it was a while ago now, but yeah, I loved it. So 
And did you, so I heard, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, so you did two and a half years of music theatre and then did you not get into the society? Yes, yes, very, very sad. Um, yeah, no, it's quite interesting that one because like sometimes things seem really bad at the time and, and like a really horrible thing that happens, but it actually turns out to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. And it's always really hard to see that in the moment. Like somebody says, oh, it's a it's a blessing in disguise or maybe there's a silver lining or maybe it's, you know, it's not meant to be because something else and you're like, oh, shut up. But genuinely, this was one of those moments like well if you didn't do that you wouldn't have got into DJing. yes yes so yeah. what had happened was to kind of go into a bit more depth about that yes i'd been enjoying music theater in high school i was very much into it. like we had like, dundee schools music theater is what it was called at the time and essentially all there's only like 10 high schools in dundee or whatever but the from the high schools if you went to the high schools you could join this music theater company and it was mm. really great it was brilliant i loved it in, in high school it was so fun a lot of my friends were from there and we put on like these quite big productions and they were you know quite yeah like well directed and produced mm. and everything just because it was Dundee like council city council um and yeah I did get a few wee main parts so I was like okay like I must be all right at this and and I just loved it um you know it was just it was just a great buzz just being on stage singing and acting and maybe doing a terrible accent but trying my best <laughs> and then yeah music theater just uh it just spoke to me because it was something I was used to and I knew how much joy I got from it in in school so I did that and it, it was like grand it was really good in, in university and they they were like my people you know that was I'd go to the house parties and it'd always be like music theatre kind of people or people involved in those societies and the theatre groups and it was amazing like and we went on holiday and stuff and like the end of second year so it was yeah that was my what I really enjoyed those first two years and I dedicated a lot of my time to that or my extracurricular time, probably probably a lot of my actual time that should have been studying, but whatever. And um, then I went to Madrid for my third year abroad because I did law and Spanish, so I had to do that compulsory You did, you did law and Spanish? Law and Spanish, yeah. Why law and Spanish? Why law and Spanish? Yeah. Um, I still don't know. <laughs> I don't know. See what? I think the thing is, and I think this is quite bad at school, certainly when I was at school, if you're somewhat clever, I think teachers will push, or did at the time, push... If you're good at English, go be a lawyer. If you're good at, you know, maths or that kind of thing, go be a doctor. Mm. And that's it. If you're clever, go be these two things, a lawyer or a doctor. They don't really, or they didn't really talk about other avenues that you could go down, like journalism. Nobody really said anything about journalism to me. And, you know, I actually, probably if you'd spoke to me about, oh, yes, do radio, I would have been like, this is awesome. Like, what, mm. can, what can I do? But it was, it, it's very geared towards academia. Hmm. geared towards going and getting that university degree whereas the the fact of it is with radio if you want to be a radio presenter you probably don't need the degree you could, a lot of it is work experience so um but you know we were pushed to kind of go to uni um I was actually going to do art at one point I was going to do yeah maybe fashion or product I got into product design I got into product design at Duncan and Jordanson um DJ CAD in Dundee but I deferred and went to Australia how long did you go to Australia for just a year but um, I didn't know, I knew product design wasn't for me. Like, I'd, as much as I was happy that I got in and imagine I'd done that, it would have been a totally different life I'd been leading. But I just, I think the maths element of it, hmm. it was not appealing to me. Um, and I always thought to myself, well, you know, I'm, cause I was, I'm a good drawer, like I am, I'm quite a good drawer. And I thought, you know, if I want to do art, I think I get an actual degree. Like, not actually, that sounds terrible. Not an actual degree, but like a degree that's perhaps 
employable as as yeah. teachers Quite like to say yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as teachers like to say um which i don't agree with because you know what i mean like if you have a real passion for something you can go out and do it mm. like anything you know what i mean a law degree what does it get you i didn't do anything with my law degree and it's employable mm. so but this was my thoughts at the time i thought well no i'll go get one of these so-called employable degrees and then i can do art on the side but i think that was perhaps wrong of me and I mean, in hindsight, would I have done art, studied art? No, because I'm quite happy with the way things have gone. But I think the best advice to anyone is do your passion. If you love art, go do that art degree. Don't listen to what anybody's saying about, oh, you need to go get like an English degree or a business mm -hmm. degree because, you know, employers look well upon that. No, do what you find passionate. Like that is something I wish somebody... Well, I mean, I, I did get told that, but there is always that kind of nagging at the back of your head from teachers or maybe like you know guardians perhaps you should do something that in the future is going to do well and and mm. then do your art did, but, you, did your parents or, or your teachers kind of push you into that um i think my, well, my art teacher was very good at saying to people do, do art and I, I think because she was such a good teacher a lot of people in my art class did actually go on to do art good i think now they've maybe went into teaching or whatever and they've taken it to maybe not maybe they're not painters but but they did that but i think because you know i was clever quote unquote mm. i went and, you know took my gap year and was like, i don't know what i want to do and then yeah i think it was just that kind of pressure i guess growing up thinking right maybe i should do something like law and that was it and i was going to do japanese actually i was going to do japanese in international business um i actually applied i was writing this like the personal statement and then you were going to study Japanese. Yeah, no, I, I had a week to go until the UCAS deadline. I was in Australia <laughs> writing this personal statement for Japanese and international business. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know. I just I think I, I, I was drunk. I'm not going to lie. I was a bit I was a bit <laughs> drunk and I was speaking. I think I was on like it wasn't Zoom. It was like it was Skype at the time. And I was I think I was on Skype to like my friend or whatever. Or, or was it even my dad? I can't remember who it was. I was on Skype. And I think I just kind of had a thought, like, maybe I should do law. Mm. Like, I, I like English. And it's, again, not what your teachers tell you. You're good at English, do law. And I th But to be fair, I think, I think, you know, what you think of what a lawyer is when you're that age, it kind of appealed to me. I thought, oh, yeah, like, debating. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. I'm not that good at debating. And I also don't really like debating. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe when it worked out. But, yeah, I just did it. I chose law and Spanish because I wanted to... I've always wanted to be bilingual. And... I'd never done it before, so mm. thought, why not? When did the flip come in terms of, you know, I've studied what I've studied. I want to go down a different route. Like like, like radio and stuff? Yeah. Oh, I think I knew straight away that law wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> as soon as you started? Yeah. Yeah, but I, again, it was that. I think we're so lucky in Scotland that we get degrees for free. Mm. Like We get to go to university for free, and that is something that we'd really have to appreciate because there's people all over the world that have to pay thousands and thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands sometimes to go to university and the fact that we have that luxury i didn't and i think that was another thing another kind of pressure like you know you do get it free so so i think um yeah i did it and as soon as i started i was like look get the degree because it's a great thing to have and also you want to do the university experience don't you mm -hmm. and i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life and then I love the Spanish aspect of it. So, in in retrospect, do you are you glad you completed it? Oh yeah. Yeah, you're oh, glad. Oh god, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't mm. regret my degree at all. I just think 
you know, and like I say, I'm really happy with the way things turned out. Like I, I love my job and, and it's like kind of the butterfly effect, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like little small things that you've done leads up to what you're doing now. But I think if I was to tell anyone, if you're into art or you're into fashion, go do that. Mm-hmm. Don't think about doing a degree that, oh, but like, you know, maybe this will help me. And No, do what you're passionate about. Yeah. Maybe if you come at the end of it, it might, it might look like employers won't want to hire you, but they will. If you're passionate about it and love it enough, you're going to make it happen. But anyway, that's kind of digressing a bit. Um, I, th- I think if you're passionate about something and you love it, you'll probably be good at it. Yeah. And I think if you get the degree, but you're not passionate about it, you probably just read the books well, and you don't really care. That was it. That was it with law. Like I knew I could have been like a decent lawyer. I could have been okay. Mm. Um, but I would never have been a brilliant lawyer. And lawyer, like law is a lot more competitive than people think. Mm. Like it really is like yes you can get a degree in a law firm but if you want like a top law firm yeah you're competing with people who have that passion which I just couldn't compete with I just didn't love it and then yeah like I say so sorry I'm kind of totally digressing with the music (laughs) theatre um obviously yes was loving it doing that at university came back from Madrid and then didn't get in didn't get into the music theatre society that I wanted to get into that I had been a part of for two years that my friends were on the panel you know Additioning me, um, and they let my sister in and didn't let me in, and I was gutted. Like I was, I was devastated. Like these were my people. This was like my life. These were my friends. Like, what do you do when that's taken away from you? And okay, it seems like so dramatic, but at the time things were obviously like, you are you're early twenties, like twenty one, I think I was. So yeah, things do seem more intense. And also, we were hanging out maybe two times a week in that society. Like you'd go to the the socials and you'd go to the actual music theatre group and then there'd be the parties and if I wasn't a part of that group I, I my fear was that I'd stop getting invited and that's what happened I stopped getting invited to certain things and mm. um luckily I had other friends and then I did find a cappella, so I enjoyed that and I was doing that and I was fine but it was really sore for me it was really horrible it was hard and then Josette my sister she didn't join the group even though she got in I think out of solidarity for me Mm. she didn't she didn't go along which was really nice and I I was I was better for a wee while like I was but then and I think that's why when I joined student radio because I did that like I joined that about the same time I was like well I'm going to throw myself into this 100% 110% to make up for that time that I'm not maybe spending at music theatre I'm going to really give my all to this do you think you almost had we were speaking to adrian barker on the podcast who said he kind of had like a chip in his shoulder and he said that whenever he wanted to motivate himself he'd think of it and think of whatever it was that he was kind of running from and that would encourage him to go further do you, do you think that's the moment that you think of you think you know the way i felt when i didn't get into that society and then it inspires you to work harder yeah i mean i think the thing is i was always going to enjoy i was going to always going to join student radio but yeah, I think there was a slight, I guess, chip on my shoulder. I suppose you could say it like that. It was, it was just kind of a drive to, to really do something with that because I hadn't got that, and mm. I was like, well, you know, I, I really want to make this work. And then I guess I, I enjoyed it so much. I started doing it. and was thinking, God, I, I actually wish I joined this back in first year, mm. but I didn't know it existed. I, I didn't really know it existed until the end of my second year when my friend was doing it. And your sister, she went, so she, that's such a nice thing that she didn't go because you didn't go. I know. You and your sister are really close. Yeah, she's my twin, yeah, so. You guys are twins? Identical, yeah. I know. Really? Yeah, we are, yeah. You look identical. When you see us in person, it's a bit more, yeah. it's the hair, it throws people off. Yeah. And obviously there are differences, like nobody is, well, 
a lot of people are like a lot of twins can be very similar but you know we're not completely the same but we were the same egg like mm. we split so <laughs> and you both played violin and then yeah she, continued... she was just better <laughs> so she continued the violin and you started djing yeah well she, no well she kind of like let it go like she hmm. she she played a little bit in university like in her room like right. you know what i mean like keep it up but i was kind of half-hearted and then i was doing nothing yeah and then yeah when i did start the dj and i did throw myself into that and just yeah it was just it was so fun like like i say i wish i'd kind of at the i mean i'm fine about it now but at the time i was i wish i'd you know done this earlier um so i was loving it so much and getting like just just like some fun gigs from it and i think mm. it was it was just fun you know and and she wanted to be a part of that and i was quite happy to do that with her so yeah we just that's how the violin and djing kind of came together i think that makes you really unique and i was actually talking to drew literally before this and i was saying i was in the gym and i was like on the step machine or something and i was like i recognize this song it's because i was researching you. you you'd come up in a playlist that I was listening to on Spotify. Oh, really? Yeah, and oh I was gosh. like, oh my God, what, what's my world? Oh, that's mad. Um, mad. W- which is incredible, but I think that it's so seamless, seamlessly transitioned, like some transitions from the violin to, to, to the DJ. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. It took us a while. Yeah, it's very unique, but to talk to me about that, because you see your live sets. How does that work? Do, do, do you tell your sister what you're going to do and she then plays it? Kind because of. I know that when you're actually behind the decks, hearing can be difficult, like what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, oh god, yeah. Yeah, um, so how it works live, I mean, I'll talk you through the last set we did, which was at Riverside Festival, so that was about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And um, it was an hour and a half set, which I like. I like the longer sets. It means we can really change it up a bit. Um, so yeah, ideal set would be between an hour and a half to two hours. But um, what we do is, we have a bank of tunes that she can play the violin along to. Okay. So beforehand, I'll maybe, and our own tunes, obviously got original tunes, but beforehand, maybe a few weeks before, you know, we'll, we'll chat about certain songs. Like I'll, I'll send her a tune like, oh, this is quite good. And I think there are beautiful elements to this tune that I think would sound really nice if you added a violin on top of it. Yeah. She'll, she'll either say yes or no. Um, and usually we kind of, she says, yeah. So then we'll put that in a little bank so that'll be the, the tune bank and she'll she but she makes it all up she makes up the whole violin part up completely and it's really impressive what she does and we'll memorize it for and, all of them so you're playing yeah. an hour and a half set and she memorizes every so not every tune is going to be with the violin so that's right. why i prefer the hour and a half because it's sometimes too much yeah like you know what i mean like if every single tune had the violin it's like but and it's better when you like are able to break it up with two tunes maybe mm tune with the violin two tunes without tune with the violin yeah. one or two without and that's why i prefer the longer sets because you can do that whereas if it's just an hour there have been times where yeah we've just played an hour full of our tunes like with the violin and it's mm. we did that for bbc introducing and it was great but it was um a lot for her because <laughs> her, her arm just like, <laughs> um but yeah so that so then you know we'll have a bank of tunes that she could play and then while we're live i'll say to her right josette i think i'm going to play our tune demon backhand spin next and she's like okay so i'll mix into it she goes away and then i'll you know does her little thing and then i'll bring in another tune and then she rests mm. but um when she's playing like it's quite a lot as well because i'm controlling her sound all the time because mm. there's been times where you know, it's maybe been too loud or when she plays the higher notes it can sound sometimes sound a bit 
overpowering yeah, yeah. almost i don't want to say screechy mm. but it can be it's a lot you know the high frequencies so i have to maybe reverb it or bring it down so i'm constantly working when she's playing the violin and people so don't realize that you're essentially doing two jobs <laughs> <laughs> the a, same little time. Bit, a little bit a little story of my life two jobs but um yeah so that's that's kind of how it works but it's great um and i love it and but we're, we're kind of starting to do this thing where we don't necessarily bring the violin hmm. we're trying to do you know because when you've got a dj set or djs or an artist sorry that are playing at a festival or a lineup it's always got like live beside their name hmm. so i have try to think of one like maybe kink kink will have his name and then it's got in brackets live because mm. he's got like the drum machine and he's got all the synths and everything he's amazing by the way i love kink so like that's what we want to start doing if we're on the lineup and we've got the violin put kintra live mm. but then it also gives promoters the option if they don't want the violin because not all of them are going to want the violin just kintra so I think that's what we're going to start doing because um, up until now it has just been like every time's mostly with the violin but I think in future live mm. um, and that's good because I've also started I've bought a vocal processor so I'm going to start um, trying to at least do some sort of vocals along with the techno <laughs> we'll see how, how yeah why not bring the singing back so that's <laughs> that you know I'm finally getting to do what I wanted to do yeah. so um yeah bring that back so one of the tunes we've worked on it's called finish him it's called finish him right now R rather i don't know if it'll be f called finish him when we release it but that's what it's called and it's um got vocals in spanish that i recorded so i'd like to be able to do that live and yeah. speak over like what i've already recorded and we've got like a vocal processor that, like warps our vocals and stuff mm. so live makes yeah. sense can track live did DJs do something, and I've heard this from friends of mine, do they mix their new tunes in to live sets to see the reaction before they release the tune? Yeah, that's normal. Is that really normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. I mean, the thing is with tunes, like, it's good to get play, like, before it's signed because it could be quite difficult to get tunes signed. Um, really quite hard. Just depends on what the label's looking for. Because like, when you're signed to a label, it doesn't mean that you're signed as an artist. It just means that particular track or that particular EP signed. Really? Yes. yes. I didn't know that. Yes. So, but it depends. It does depend. Like when you do start getting perhaps bigger, there might be a big, a, a big label like Warner or Sony that want to sign you, and then everything you release from then on is with them makes sense that's fine but i guess when you're kind of more underground level or a smaller yeah more grassroots level if you're signing on yeah i guess shall not shall not fade or whatever or you know a label that's perhaps not to the extent of warner or sony mm -hmm. then yeah it's maybe just that ep or just that or that track and does the label put pressure on i've heard this in other podcasts can the label sometimes put pressure on people to release new songs and hits? Well, I guess if it's... I mean, I've never experienced that because mm. I only released the one... Me and my sister only released the one EP on Renaissance. And, you know, once that EP is released, that's kind of it, you know. Unless you want another one released, you'd be like, hey, guys, do you want to put this one out as well? And they're like, yeah or no. Just depends mm. what they want. Um, so there's no pressure in terms of that. I can't speak for the bigger ones like yeah. Sony or Warner or, or whoever, Universal. I, I can't, I, I don't know, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not something I've experienced. Yeah. But yeah, it could be. 
because I was hearing, I think it was Lewis Capaldi's documentary, he was talking about the, the, the label kind of put pressure, he's got a big label, but the label kind of put pressure on him to, to make another hit album. And that's partially why he was facing the struggles that he has at the moment, because he had that stress and anxiety of being like, Shit, I need to release something. Yeah. I'm maybe not ready yet, or yeah. I don't want to release this, it's not good enough. And he kind of felt the stress. What's the goal for you in terms of labels? Would you like to be signed to someone? Um, I mean, in terms of being signed in that capacity, mm. I don't know if it's something, it's, it's not really, not really on our radar, just purely because the kind of music that we release isn't necessarily going to get multiple chart hits you know what i mean like you'd be surprised well, well and to be fair like the music like that's hitting the charts these days te- do tend to be a little bit more underground a bit more yeah. dancey so you never know never say never but you've got the lf systems guys i know LF <laughs> system and uh well hannah lane's tune just entered the charts didn't it did so, it yeah number 22 that's good so we'll see what happens with that but um yeah it's uh it is exciting and, and obviously ewan mcvicker's tune number 15 it reached so but i don't know it's not that's not really on my radar like getting signed to that capacity where it's like you're now locked in with a label and you mm. have to keep releasing tracks like obviously you know it's hard for me to say because if that happened i'd be like okay cool like let's see what's happening but i would i think my goal is to get our next dp signed to just a nice label that we like and once that's signed and they've put it out there it just kind of means that they control i think getting a label like a track signed to a label just means like they control the release yeah. That's kind of it. So I could easily put it on myself and just self-release and just, you know, get it on Spotify and, and all the channels that it needs to be on. But the label just kind of takes care of that. And when you do get signed to a label, it's good because a lot of people will go to labels that they like because they can trust that label that's going to release good music. Yeah. Um, Is it better to go to a label or do it yourself? Depends. It totally depends. Mm. I mean, if it's an edit and you've not got clearance from the original artist self-release because you just pop it on soundcloud and you're not getting any money from that so mm. if you if it's just a soundcloud release then you know there's nothing really wrong with that i mean i've never done that so i can't completely say for sure but it does people well it does people well um and it can get a lot of traction like i know a few people that have got like thousands and thousands of views on some of their like soundcloud releases and it's just self-released all self-released and then sometimes a label will come along and say okay we really like that we're going to release it and what they do is they work to get clearance for the vocals Mm. or for whatever sample that you used that you wouldn't have been able to get clearance just on your own because the label has connections they can actually do that and that's also why it's good to release on a label if you want to if you want that to actually get like to release it um they'll help you with things like yeah getting vocals cleared but that can be really difficult and that's why we kind of We've not done any edits yet. I mean, maybe we will, but, you know, how we release that, I don't know. Again, it's a conversation you need to have with the label. Mm. But when you can release a completely original tune, then you're just safe, aren't you? Like, it's just mm. it's just easier because you don't have to deal with any, like, anything like that. It's any just paperwork. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. like, do you like the song? Yeah, okay, sign it, sick. <laughs> but obviously it takes a wee while. Do you, are you quite... Um... How do you react to criticism about your music? Um, well, <laughs> um, I, I think so. I mean, when we first started working on our last EP, our first EP, but um, I let it, I let a few people that I know listen to it, and they would be like, "Oh, this sounds a bit, you know, the hats are maybe too sharp or 
or maybe the kick needs a bit of a more more of an oomph or whatever mm. or, or this needs to change the sense maybe not quite right and we're like okay and just you know maybe change it or actually no we like it yeah. i mean i've not really had loads of criticism on it um like on, on, on our music so much i mean if you like it you like it if you don't you don't mm. um i generally obviously i'd like people to like it but i think the most important thing is if you like it and i know some like especially our newer stuff it's a bit more unusual so yeah maybe not everybody's gonna like it but it's, it's interesting because what i do with video editing is in a sense quite similar to the djing it's very technical uh and, and i know from my personal experience that i think the reason that i got into that field was because i hated criticism and okay. nobody could tell me i was wrong and a lot of creative people that go down these creative niches, it's because they do shit in school and they don't want anyone telling... They, they never want any criticism. And in order to go down a creative field, it's kind of... You can't really criticise it because it's subjective to the person. Yeah. What's interesting about you is you are very very intelligent academically. You did well in school. You, you study Spanish and law. Yeah, You're so, yeah. bilingual. And you take criticism really well about your music thing is i think i think that you say have you do you take criticism well of your music i've not been criticized so much about my music mm. do i take criticism well in general is probably the question you should be asking me do and do i um it depends what you're criticizing if it's something personal if it's something you've been working on and uh, and you, you your, your heart and soul's in it it depends. I mean, I actually do think I take criticism well. I do. Mm. Because I think I do sometimes doubt myself. So getting that criticism, I'm like, right, okay, like, they must be right. I, I'll, I'll fix it. Um, sometimes you shouldn't listen to criticism because sometimes, you know, sometimes maybe it right. is, yeah. yeah. But no, I do take it quite well. I do. I'm, I'm very open to hearing people's thoughts on you know my work like, i guess as a journalist like if, like an article like when i first started out you know i'd be writing articles and you'd send it to your the subs like the editors to kind of read it and, and make sure it was all right and they'd come back and it looked so different and you're like oh no like but it's it's it is criticism but it's constructive because at the end of the day i'd been doing it for like what six days they've mm. been doing it for like six years like it's yeah. so yeah, it's. I, I do think I take it quite well. We need to pause this podcast really quickly to bring to you a word from our sponsors. Chisholm Hunter are the sponsors of the Into the Mind podcast. And it's quite fitting that they are our sponsors because as well as working with Chisholm Hunter for over seven to eight years, I genuinely buy Chisholm Hunter's products. These are all Chisholm Hunter rings. This is a Chisholm Hunter chain and the watch or all the watches that I have are from Chisholm Hunter. So if you're looking for something for yourself or your partner, head to chismhunter.co.uk. That's chismhunter.co.uk. But I suppose when you're getting criticized for, for, for journalism, it can be maybe a little bit different because the, the, there's potentially a, a definite right answer and a definite wrong answer. A bit like answering a, a question in maths. But yeah. with music, it's kind of subjective. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with criticism, like I, I don't see it as criticism because I'm really high, I'm, I'm highly critical of myself anyway. Yeah. So if I fluffed up and somebody says, you know, that was maybe not quite right or you could have done this, I usually know it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm like, yeah, no, fair enough. Like I, I totally agree. I just, and I, th I think, yeah, your point on criticism and journalism and music, I mean, everybody's always going to have opinions 
and even like in, in journalism like my style of reporting or presenting might really appeal to one person but not the other mm. and it doesn't mean that it's not good i guess yeah it's subjective it's a subjective feels isn't it but you're going to get criticism in no matter what you do mm. i think or like a dj set oh that was crap Oh, she didn't play a very good DJ set. To be fair, nobody would actually tell me that. I think people would just think it. I think people would just think it. But I know it. Mm-hmm. I know when I've jumped off the decks and I'm like, God, that wasn't, I could have been better. But then I also know when it's good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's important. It's funny you say that. I think that people that are so in tuned with what they do and really love what they do, they normally know when they've cocked up. Yeah. Uh, like when, I, when I'm editing a video and Drew will review it or when Drew's editing a video and I'll review it, if there's any feedback we have for each other, normally the other knows already before they've even checked yeah. it. So it's like it's almost like when you when you really love to do something, you'll f- catch your own mistakes. Yeah. Talk to me about Riverside. You played oh. Riverside recently. How was that? Because that looked incredible. It was. So I was there both days. I was on the Saturday, but that was just for fun. Hmm. Just that was a great day. Had such a good time. I was hanging about with really lovely people. It was just great. And then on Sunday was the gig so yeah I was quite nervous I, I was really nervous actually was it anxiety was it can you have anxiety was I don't it? really I mean I, I've had like bouts of anxiety but I wouldn't say I've, I've really got anxiety mm. um it was just I was just nervous because I think the live violin element is always something else to think about yeah and I think if it had just been a standard DJ set yeah I would have had a little bit of butterflies but I'd be more like I'm going to rock yeah. this well, you're and, totally in control yeah uh, you know what i mean you plug in the usb yeah. and you go and it's and I, i've been you no know, i mean i can do that in my sleep now ish, <laughs> ish. um but you know what i mean i know what i'm doing i've done it for a while yeah. but with the violin it's i'm relying on a lot of different elements like the sound to be right and 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 i guess the violin as well like so when we played um big weekend my sister's i think it was the g string on the violin it just slipped so that means that it went out of tune completely hmm. so she'd already tuned the violin she've got to obviously tune it because it can slip um and it usually slips ever so slightly like as you're playing or when it's you know different elements like heat or cold it can do that to the violin totally slipped completely completely out of tune no rectifying it unless she stopped which she what she did hmm. i was still going she stopped and had to tune it she had to tune it on stage so i think that was in the back of my mind because that was only a week before riverside so i was like oh my god what if that happens again um and it's a lot for her like it is a lot because she's like you know it's heavy like you gotta hold it up and her arms get sore and and yeah there's a lot to think about and she might make a mistake and i know she'll kick herself after that and i'm like it's fine nobody noticed so there's so much to think about so much more than just a dj set not just a DJ set, because DJ is still, it's still hard. Don't get me wrong. And it's hard to like read the crowd and, and things can go wrong. And I have fluffed up even just a DJ set, but it is considerably easier than having a live violin. Talk me through your creative process when you're writing music. What was the process like? Do, 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 you, do you sit with your sister? Yeah, and, I, I mean, sorry. Yeah, I guess um, beforehand it was more remote because hmm. we wrote the first EP in covid so she was living in newcastle with her then boyfriend so you were you were separate when you wrote that yeah but we did come together so there was like but i mean yeah a lot of it was kind of separate um i was on my own in in glasgow and she was in newcastle but i think how we kind of created that was she would she usually creates a violin melody first and then we'll work around it 
with you know get the kicks in they'll have kind of like a basic kick and then you start beefing it up and then you try and work in the violin and the violin changes like we've you know taken bits out put bits in kind of get a good synth line and it's usually yeah she kind of usually does she's been doing more of the production um and i've been kind of more telling her what sounds good what doesn't and then mm. but yeah it's, it's it's a pretty collaborative process it took us a while don't get me wrong like it took us a long time to get to it sorted. yeah to do and i think to like work out our sound at first so that first ep did take about a year and a bit to finish even the second one's taken us bloody ages but i think that's the thing when you've got a live like element it's it's difficult because you need it to sound within the music rather than just placed on top and I think a normal band when they're like recording like you know a, a track, it's they've all got live instruments, so it's fine. It can blend and they, they they can do that. Whereas when you've got the whole tune made electronically on a computer, and you've got one live element, it's like right. It's kind of bringing these two together and trying to make it seamless and smooth rather than just yeah, like it's jarringly sitting on top. Of yeah, the music. yeah. So yeah, it can be hard, but is it? When you're at these festivals like Riverside or Big Weekend, you put it. Yeah, that that's a big one. Talk, talk me through that. That's a big one. That's a big one. So I was in Dundee. I was in Dundee, and that's where we're from. And yeah, when we got asked, I was over the moon. I was in Colombia when I got asked. I remember I got the email through, and me and Josette shared the same email for Kentra. So I got it through, and I didn't know if she'd seen it because she was in Thailand. Mm. So I like messaged her like, "Josette, you guys travel all over. You've been to Australia, yeah, Colombia. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Where else have you been? Um, Guatemala, Costa Rica, um, Spain, like loads of Europe, like, European yeah. countries. You know, we did an interrail, so like you know, Croatia and Budapest. And that's not Budapest, Hungary. Sorry, mm. um, but yeah, Germany, Denmark. You know, I mean, just kind of these places." I've not been to like, I've not been to much of Asia yet, which I really want to do. But anyway, mm. um, yes, yeah, so I was in Colombia when I got the email and I was like, Argh. I remember I ran upstairs and the girls that I'd met in the hostel, I was like, oh my God, guys, like, ah, uh, I can't really tell you this, but oh, I'm so excited. And they're like, what? I was like, I can't say, but I'm just, good news. They're like, okay. Are you held to embargo? Do you? Yeah, embargo, kind of, kind of. It's more like don't announce it. Right, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Like you can like tell. Like an NDA. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, obviously, me and Josette spoke about it, but yeah, you're kind of supposed to kind of keep it quiet. Like, if you put it on socials, it's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, but, um, you don't want to piss them off. Yeah, you don't. You don't. <laughs> and you, you, want, you want the gig, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, I'm just in a good mood. Just take that girl. I was like, I'm in a good mood. And they're like, okay, drinks. Yeah, woo. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was really good. And then, obviously, we were able to announce it, and that was class. Um, but yeah, the whole thing was just, uh, just brilliant. I mean... We started off with about 20 people in the crowd, which isn't a lot, but it was like people we knew, like mum. <laughs> mum was there on my little sister's boyfriend's shoulders. Mad. <laughs> I was like, good for you. Um, but no, she was having a great time. They're all having a great time. It was so supportive and it was so lovely. It was lovely that they all came down. Um, so yeah, about 20 people in the crowd and then more and more came over and we did pull a crowd. Good. I was really pleased. Yeah, like, Because you never know. And like, especially when you're on early hour like we weren't too early we we're on at five and that was a really good time but you know it's not it's it's you never know you never know you know mm. i mean you're not sure that's how it starts yeah and then you start working your way up and i've, I've seen it yeah. for my i don't know seven years i mean i met you at a techno club so probably yeah. like seven years of going to techno-ish clubs you see people working their way up like that yeah. and they start early and then the next year it's a bit later next year it's later next yeah. year and then all of a sudden they're headlining yeah is that the goal for you yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean 
Uh, yeah, if I could be a headliner. I mean, we have had headline gigs, mm-hmm. but it's it's been, I guess, to a smaller scale. But yeah, we've had a few gigs that we've been booked as the headliners. And you know, we did that in, when was it? In Dundee again, um, at King's Collective, which are a promoter in, in Dundee. They're awesome. They booked us. And that was great. You know, we've got, we're, we're headliners. And it's been a few times that's happened. Um, but yeah, would I like to headline a big massive festival like Riverside? Of course I would. <laughs> would um, yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, have these goals for yourself because why not? Why not? And I think with the violin element with for Kintra, it is unique. So, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't continue it for a long time and hopefully get to a point where we are doing big, big festivals on a more regular basis mm. um, out with Scotland. That'd be great. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. I think I love traveling so much. So being able to travel with music and see amazing places and I meet amazing people that share your passion and then people who can dance to your music and love it like yeah god what else is better Mm. what else is better literally what else so um yeah hopefully that's the plan we'll see have you so in in music and one of my best pals in the world is called gregory he's got uh, his alias is called mull um so he's a dj in manchester at the moment and he said one of the most important things to him was networking and he said like if you don't network you don't know people in the in the niche like you said it's a very small industry what does he play he plays in Manchester. No, what kind of music you don't know? Techno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not even bullshitting you. I might have seen his name. Really? Yes. So it was like M A U L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I have seen yeah, his yeah, name yeah, yeah. on lineups. Actually, yeah. I don't. I've never met him. Don't know. Him, but. He's released his first song. It's it's really good. I'll show you. Yeah, please. Um, but he he was saying that he he's really struggling at the moment to network. It's hard. Uh, yeah, and it's like just getting into the right circles, and like he he is also working full time. How how have you? done that because you seem to know most people in the space at the moment um, what's been your kind of strategy like, yeah, not strategy that sounds awful, no i know but- i know what you mean i start well i mean i've been doing it a while mm. and i think that helps i mean i started djing starting getting gigs because i think starting djing is different to starting getting gigs mm. i think it is a bit different i started getting gigs yeah 2017 2017 and at the time i was one of the few women djs doing it and at first, I mean, it, it was hard to network, I think, because it was more of a boys club back then. Yeah. There was not a lot of, yeah, there was less kind of equal in the industry. Mm-hmm. It, it was, there was, there was a disparity, there was for sure. Um, There still is to an extent, but God, it's so much better, it's so much better. So yeah, it, it was difficult. It was difficult to do that, Um, to network. And I did find myself feeling a bit, because I didn't have friends that did it, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of alone in, in yeah. that process, yeah. So it was difficult, but I think as time went on, you know, I, I did manage to make a few pals and I did get booked and then you kind of let your talent speak for itself in a way. Mm. And actually, no, I'm decent, even though I'm a woman. Like, you know, why does it matter? Mm. Literally. Um, and yeah, and then I think because I was one of the few women doing it, perhaps people noticed that. You know what I mean? Like it is a small scene. Let's be honest. So yeah. perhaps they see my name on the lineup and be like, "Oh, right, that's that, that's that girl and whatever." Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of one way I, I started to make a name for myself. But I was still not really doing it. But I think because I did have that kind of kickstart before COVID, and then COVID, everything just shut down. Yeah. 
But then I built a social media presence in lockdown. And I think because I already had that experience, those who were just getting into it saw me as somebody who'd already been doing it. Hmm. So you know what I mean? So I think that helped. Take a and then, to you for inspiration. Or at least, yeah, I guess in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, yeah, I just, I think because lockdown just put stall on everything, I just wanted to go 110 miles per hour. And that was it. As soon as lockdown finished, I was like, I'm going to go to every gig. And I just networked. Like, I just, it's going to the gigs. I think that's an important yeah. thing. And before lockdown, admittedly, I didn't go to as many gigs as I probably could have and should have. But also, it's really daunting turning up on your own, especially as a, you know, yeah. as a woman and it's all males. Um, and I had my boyfriend at the time, so I was kind of traveling a lot to see him. So I didn't really have as much time. But after COVID, my sister came to a lot more of the gigs with me. So I had had a wee companion and then mm. I did know some people who were into it. So it, I, I had people to go to the gigs with. And that was it. It's just turning up. If, if your pal wants to network, it's literally going to the gigs, meeting people, but not going with an agenda. Because I don't think that's a good idea. Just going just to appreciate the music and the vibe and the space and the fact that there's people that believe in the same thing that you believe in terms of like you know music and mm. it, i think it's uh go with that attitude and see what happens from that but don't go in like i need to get this gig and i need to play for this promoter and i need to network with that person and that person because you come across as, you come across a desperate energy like that's the kind of desperate energy yeah. and, and it's good just to kind of ease Chill into out. it and see what happens and enjoy it it's meant to be fun isn't it so I, that that, that kind of means a lot. I think when I was coming up in videography and photography, I hated approaching people. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do it by myself. And I would go out and do all these shots and do these videos. And then if brands approached me, they approached me, that's fine. But I would never approach them. And then after after years of doing that, eventually you just earn a name for yourself. Yeah. The, the work, as you said, speaks for itself. And I'm sure your work speaks for itself. And so does Gregor's. Um, you spoke about social media, which is kind of a hot topic. What are, your, what are your takes on social media? And in general, but also in the music scene? I mean, it's hard to imagine a life without it, isn't it? At this point, <laughs> like it's so embedded in our culture now. Mm. And I find myself on my phone quite a lot. It's nice not being on it. Um, and I find, I'm, yeah, I feel like the thing with social media, you can compare yourself a lot to other people, mm. a lot. And you don't mean it. You don't mean it, and they don't mean it. They don't mean to make you feel that way. And sometimes you see something, you're like, "Oh God!" And I used to be like, I used to compare myself a lot to people. Not so much anymore. I'm kind of quite good at just being like, oh, "Whatever." You mm. know what I mean? We all have our moments, but yeah, I'm, I'm like in my lane. You're in yours. Everybody's different, so you can't compare. It's like comparing an orange and a banana. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it is easy to do that. You know, see somebody with a body you like, and you're like, "Oh." Yeah. Why can't I have a body like that? But then but then you've maybe got something that they don't like about themselves and so i think social media is kind of bad for that sense um but it's a brilliant way to keep in contact with people mm. it's a brilliant way to connect and i've made some friends through social media mm. and i love that i love that i can you know my pal i hadn't seen my pal for years um i think the last time i'd seen him was like in uni like literally 2017 and we still talked a lot on like Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever over social media and then we finally saw each other like end of last year but I was like no time had passed because we had literally been like FaceTiming or whatever and we, you know mm. what I mean we'd seen each other yeah without actually seeing each other and that's the beauty of social media and you see somebody and you're like yeah you look how I imagine you'd look because I literally saw you on Instagram <laughs> like the other day yeah so it's 
it's really good for that keeping connections up that otherwise you'd lose hmm. and I, I love that i love that about social media and I, I barely have anybody's numbers i don't really have that many people's numbers well, we were instagramming we wouldn't yeah text. <laughs> I, 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 I literally i messaged a lot of people on instagram yeah there's only a few people i text hmm. literally a handful of friends that i'll text some of them i whatsapp again handful most people are Facebook Messenger. I don't know why I use that. I use, I still really, I use that quite a lot. Um, but it's usually Instagram. Yeah. Um, so I like social media for that. Is it, do you think if you didn't have social media for Kintra, it would almost be like other DJs would have kind of a level up on you because they, you didn't have it? Yeah, no, the thing is, with in terms of like branding and promo for artists, I think social media is super important. Mm. And it's, it is the way it is. Like, you know, like it or don't like it, that's how it is. Mm. And with Kintra, we had a social media that was very higgledy-piggledy, it was. It didn't really know what it was. It was all over the place. And that was up until last year. It was, I'm talking like summer last year, like maybe even later, like September. We had an Instagram that was just kind of, yeah, didn't really just have was. a scheme. Yeah, it didn't yeah. have a scheme, like color scheme. It didn't. It, you didn't really know what Kintra did. Even though we had videos out there, it was kind of like, so, Sporadic. so what do you do? Um, but we want. We decided, like, we knew that we wanted to be techno. Hmm. So I was like, right. So I just purged our whole Instagram. Like, I literally just hid all the posts. I think my sister shot herself. She's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> um, purged everything, and I just started posting like black and white stuff. Hmm. Stuff that was black and white looked a bit kind of techno, a bit. RT. Yeah, and like even in the bio, I've got like little chains like Kintra. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to make it techno. I was like, we play techno, and. You know, if you don't know what we do, this is what we do. And mm. I think that's super important. You've got to make it clear to people. You've got to spell it out. Because people, you know what I mean? They, they've got a smaller intention span, I guess, than mm. than before. And they'll look at, okay, like, and unless it's like spelled out to them, they're not going to know what you're going to do or what, what you are as an artist. So, and if that worked, mm. we started getting gigs. We started getting gigs as like this techno act and that is what we want to be. And that's what the music that kind of works for us. So since then, yeah, I think because our social media looks better than it did it helps even my own instagram like before covid i wasn't really posting so much I, I was posting but it was i wouldn't say my instagram looks amazing now it doesn't it's, it's still pretty like whatever the color scheme is not really a color scheme it's just like whatever i like usually pink but the thing is with uh what i'm posting it's maybe more selfies or you know whereas before i wasn't doing that i didn't like selfies not that I didn't like them, I just I just didn't like take them. I felt like awkward, hmm. and then I started kind of in lockdown. I was like, no, why not? Like, just do it. I've got nothing else to do. Started curating my Instagram a bit more. Josette was like my professional photographer. In lockdown, I was <laughs> she like, photographer. Well, she, she, no, she she's not, but she's got a good camera, so <laughs> she became my professional photographer. Hmm. And she would take pictures of me, and I'd edit, edit them like the color, or whatever, put them on Instagram, and that was it. And then I started getting, you know. I think recognized from that because that's how the algorithm works isn't it if you post a decent picture get more likes and people it comes on their home feed and that's it so i think it's important i think it's important to keep posting because like pictures of people do better than like an artwork of it for an event 100 percent. so so instagram actually have something in their algorithm that if you put an image up with text it does worse yeah literally statistically i think what people need to remember especially about social media is that it's a promotional tool and it should be used as a promotional tool and i think that's so easy and i'm I, 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 you know i'm in it i'm social media is my game and it's so easy to get dragged into but 
using it as a promotional tool can be beneficial. Yeah. But don't spend all your time looking at what other people are doing because that's not going to help anyone. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I only follow people that follow me back. There you go. That's my rule. Yeah. And it's been my rule for a long time. Don't follow, like, people that, like, celebrities or whatever. Not because I don't like them. It's just, why? Yeah. I, I like keeping my Instagram for personal reasons for people i've met okay yes it works prom- like promotionally yes mm. of course if you want to follow me and you've never met me like cool like do your thing but if i've met you i want to have that connection i don't want to follow people that i've never met because why yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah and i can, I can play in two, two, two parts because like i've seen boiler rooms go viral and djs that have been very very small all of a sudden rocket overnight so it's like it can play both ways in terms of when you're playing you know i see this in boiler rooms all the time drug culture in the dj world what are your kind of thoughts on this i I have this horror story of when i was with queenfields and we were walking into one of the slam tents and there was a boy on the ground and he was like in a bad way and me and my pal went up to him and said you're right mate like and he told us to f off go back go away and we were very aggressive so we were like right leave him alone yeah went inside came back out and he was being stretched off in a body bag yeah that's that, a body bag a body bag jesus christ uh, like dis- he died and it was the most that's horrible, horrible thing. i don't know how you'd even cope with that god i would i don't think i would have been able to cope with that the fact we'd seen him like two hours earlier like oh god horrid. No, that's awful but but that can happen within these festivals and within these and, and people just take it too far yeah. what, what are your kind of thoughts about the drug culture within it's a shame that you know things like that happen. It's I, God, I couldn't, I couldn't even. That's horrible. This poor mum. But like the thing is, with the, with these situations, like I think it is a shame on nightlife because sometimes there is that element of it associated with mm. nightlife, and that's not great because it's not about that. It's about the music, and I think when the drugs were first taken like like you know you have your ecstasy that kind of surged and i guess what the night is the purpose for that was to enjoy the music more mm. it wasn't to get in these states yeah um and i think but with anything like if you, you do too much of or you overindulge you can abuse it and i think that's unfortunately what a lot of people can do it's getting too comfortable with something that you think, oh, I could just take a little bit more, mm-hmm. but your body can't handle a bit more. And I think the issue with drugs is you don't know what it's cut with. I think that's a really dangerous thing about drugs. It's, you know, perhaps MDMA in its pure form makes you feel good, but then what else is cut with that powdered MDMA? Mm-hmm. You don't know. And I think that's scary. It's really scary. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think my thoughts on that is, is just like anything, like it's just if you do too much of it, it can cause these situations. And I, mm. I, I think, I don't think anybody should be condoned for it. Is that the right word, the way of using it? I always fuck up with using that word, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, or criticized at least anyway, for, for taking drugs, you know, if that's what they want to do with their lives, you know, fine. But I just think it's to excess is the problem. And, and, and it's, it's about education it's about education i think you need to educate people people are going to take drugs anyway right so mm. it's educate them on the proper ways to do it yeah um, if they're going to do it if they're, yeah yeah but it's, it's you know it's, it's it's a shame that that's associated with the culture but it you know that, that's the way it is people go out and they like a bit of whatever to make themselves feel a certain way mm. same with alcohol though Alcohol's a drug mm. it's just regulated so so yeah it's um 
it makes people feel a certain way and but again it's also associated with this nightlife this nightlife culture mm. so yeah it's um it, it's just it's, it's hard you know i don't know i just think it's become somewhat embedded in the culture for a while now i think it's, it's the excess but i think that people can like especially from what i've seen be peer pressured into taking things that they might not necessarily have taken or they might not necessarily have taken as much yeah and like some of these things like if you're going to try these things do it carefully and do it knowing what the effects will be i'm not condoning it in any way but if you, someone's going to do it they're that's the right it. use of the words so. yeah <laughs> if, well you got it you got it Did I? Great. um I, you're not condoning it in any way i don't think these things are good for your brain in general um but if a young person's going to do it they're going to do it and i think that they should just know exactly what they're getting into and do it extremely carefully if they're going to do it um I think that's maybe the right way to look at it instead of being like take tons and then all of a sudden you know anything yeah it, it's just it's it's just kind of peer pressure is not great i mean luckily mm. i've never experienced much of that but it's it's just irresponsible in it and i'm not here to be like lecturing like oh so irresponsible <laughs> like we've all we've all been daft we've all done things like maybe weren't so responsible but it's just it's learning from those experiences and and not smashing drugs the next weekend even though you've had like you hit a badge in the week before mm. come on learn from it like you know what i mean like yeah. it's not funny yeah. it can really mess up your body but you know what i mean i'm not i'm not one to lecture like if that, it's people's lives like the, the, you know what i mean but it's it's the backlash that sometimes maybe the the nightlife industry gets when there are a bit of silliness and that's a shame mm. um because it's yeah. not everyone it's the it's, the, the it's few one yeah. to five percent that it actually happens with and that's only that's the people that are seen yeah so it's not it's actually when you look like i've been to these techno things with you yeah 95 percent of people are sober or just drinking yeah but uh, but it, they get a name but then even but even like even drink can like make you different yeah yeah it's again in excess you know mm. what i mean like yeah we wine your sound but like maybe a, a whole bottle too like so it's it's anything really i think it's just kind of you know it's just it's just being aware um you know we do have a drinking culture in in, in the uk that perhaps is, is quite you know a bit excessive you, you know <laughs> you know what i mean so it, it is what it is but it, it depends on the drug as well all drugs are different i think one thing that people have seen recently is ket ketamine um you know that's become quite popular and you see it when you're playing a dj set a lot of the people in the crowd perhaps aren't dancing as they would if they were on something else <laughs> or if they were drinking they're mm. just kind of and then you come off and they're like that was brilliant and you're like really did you did you remember yeah <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see you dancing but mm. it's I, I think it's it's just certain drugs that and it's just certain things to certain people and you know ket is one of them that makes people not dance sadly yeah. because you know you, you you want you want people to dance you know mm. that's what you do it for. well you don't do it for that but you you do do it for some that's sort the experience of, you know, isn't it yeah you get, you get you get the feedback and also when nobody's dancing it's really hard to read mm. it's really difficult to read just talk talk me through that how do you read a room you just know i guess like yeah the dancing thing um crowd reaction mm. and you know you Sometimes I've played a tune and it's not hit well, and you're like, "Oh God, maybe I shouldn't have played Shit. that." And you're like, "Speed it out, so I'll get something else and get something." Mm. But you, you can kind of start telling. You start kind of getting used to it, and you can work out what you'll get away with. Mm. 
and you're playing maybe a certain vibe and they're maybe reacting to that quite well you're like okay I'll keep I'll keep going with this or you play maybe an Italo disco tune and they're like a bit slow on the uptake you're like okay maybe move away from this vibe you can tell <laughs> hey guys it's me again with another shameless plug but i'm going to do it because i think we're building an incredible community here and if you guys have ever enjoyed these podcasts and ever taken any information on from them or just generally been entertained by them if you could hit that subscribe button five star button follow button whatever it is wherever you are i would really really appreciate it we're trying to get to our goal of 10,000 subscribers which is which is high but i think that we can do it so if you could help us do it it would be much appreciated so when you go onto stage how do you like warm up a crowd well it depends what time you're on they might already be warm up like, they might, <laughs> they might be, be like, yeah they'll be roasting um but yeah i guess if i'm like first on if i am the warm-up act i suppose or mm. yeah i'm opening i would it depends on what the genre is it totally depends on what the genre is but let's say it's like not a techno night let's say i'm djing on my own it's kind of whatever really goes i'd probably start with like more kind of chill like breakbeat electro just kind of seeing what like the vibe goes hmm. and you know when when you do open a, an event there's often not that many people there so if you go in full pelt it's kind of, you know, the people who come in, it's going to be a bit like, whoa, it's a bit much, yeah. um, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I'll kind of tend to play more chill stuff. But if the crowd's already kind of there and vibing, yeah, just go and see what, see what you want to do. Like, yeah. Put a slammer on. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would, I would never play techno when I'm on my own. Um, mm. I do that with Josette. And, I've, and I used to play techno on my own, but I've kind of made that, you know, that comparison, not comparison, I've, I've compartmentalised that. Mm technos with kintra and that's the act and that's kind of what we do and then everything else i'll do that as myself um mm. and i think that makes it less confusing for people they know what they're getting when they're booking either myself or kintra so um yeah i guess it just you just you can just vibe tell. It out. yeah you know genuinely yeah. like and it's always dead hard i never really prepare for sets in the sense that i'll plan a, a set i'll maybe have a folder full of like if it's an hour set i've got maybe 50 tunes and I'll think, yeah, and then I often come out with that, a folder and go into other folders, but I've, it's so I feel safe and confident that I've kind of got that. Um, if all else fails, that's your... Yeah, and I know that, okay, I've got that. Because um, things can go wrong. And um, yeah, I played an Annie Mac, like before Annie Mac a few months ago, which was crazy, it was so fun. But I had four decks, like, and usually it's just two you need, but we had four. And I was playing on this one. And then it just started. No, I know. Sorry, it was yeah. I was playing on these two, and this one. I tried to look for a tune, and it just froze. Mm. This tune was still going, but this froze, and I was like, "What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do?" So I moved to the the one on the outside, and I was like, "Okay, it's fine," because the the USB links up with them all, and I had extra USBs. So I went in to look for it again. That started freezing. I was like, "Oh my god, I've not got a lot of time left. <laughs> I've not got a lot of time." Thankfully, the one on the left hand side, the further left hand side, worked. Mm. But it was a really scary moment. Like, it was really scary. So things can mess up like that. But um, because, you know, I had my little folder, I knew kind of roughly what vibe I wanted to do. I was, at least I was able to quickly grab a tune quickly. But see before, like see before lockdown, I used to have a really bad habit of just not preparing anything. Mm. And I would just turn up and be like, yeah, it sound. Just vibe it out. But yeah, but sometimes that can go to your disadvantage because you're playing and you're trying to find a tune and you're like, Fuck, I thought it was in this folder, but I can't find it. And I've only got like a minute left. And, so it's good just to kind of plan, in a, in a sense, plan a vibe, and but don't plan a full set. I just I wouldn't do that. 
and yeah you've got these, all these amazing connections <clears throat> in the industry now have you got any wild stories about some djs that you can share that are shareable <laughs> wild stories about djs probably all just wild stories about myself um, <laughs> i don't even know uh I'm trying to think. It's somewhat on the spot there. Um, sorry. Um, Is there any that have that have like done something just outrageous, or are they all pretty level-headed? I'm I'm really trying to think. I mean, nothing like mad, like crazy. Hmm. I, I mean, Scream was playing after me at Shapes at the Jail in Sterling. He wasn't even playing after me. Sorry, he was playing. Um, he was headlining. He was headlining the event. I think I played maybe two before him, and then it was Ryan, and then um. He was playing, and it wasn't mental. It wasn't like particularly crazy, but the, the decks were like quite far back from the barrier, and he was like, "Nah, pull the barrier closer. I want the people closer." <laughs> so they did that. So they pulled the barrier, and then it was mm. just like this higgledy piggledy barrier because they just kind of pulled it quickly, and then yeah, people were right up next to him, like seeing him, mm. and that was cool. I guess it was yeah, mental, mental, I suppose, but um, you know, it was it was just a vibe. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, there's. It's it's just fun, isn't it? It's just fun when you get to kind of meet people like that who are your your idols in a sense. Like I went to see Scream years ago, and mm. I used to listen to his stuff when he was like dubstep, like you know, back in back in the day, yeah, back literally day. back <laughs> in the day. Um, so to like be DJing like next to Scream and him kind of chatting to you after it and mm. having a bev with you and a shot and stuff, it's just like this is so cool. Like, and he's a really great guy, a really nice guy um but yeah like it's, it's it's so fun weird mental have you got any advice for someone going into producing or djing or whatever it might be music in general when they're entering the scene you know have you got any any what, what would your best advice be for people going into that scene pick your genre i think pick your mm. not genre maybe not genre pick your sound know what kind of dj you want to be and i think once you make it clear about what you do then it's easier for promoters to book you because they know what you do. Mm. Um, and if you want to do everything, fine. That's what I did. But sometimes I found that to my disadvantage again because promoters maybe didn't know exactly what I did. And then I'd play a set and they'd be like, oh, I thought you were a disco DJ. Mm. And I'm like... They've heard something in your set. Yeah, and I'm like, no, no, I just played a disco set then. I yeah. actually like this more. Um, but... Yeah, so I think um, maybe starting off with a certain sound and then maybe when you, the bookings come in more, you can branch out. But it's a good way to get in with a certain kind of group and a certain promoter. It's good to have that sound. And stay true to yourself, obviously. Like, if, if you don't like the sound and you're trying to mold yourself because you think that's kind of the way in, nah, don't do that. Yeah, and um, you need to like it. Enjoy it, yeah, yeah. That's the whole point. Like, the whole point of it is for fun. That's why I got into it. And I think that's why I stay at it because i still enjoy it i think the day i stop enjoying it will be a sad day and hopefully it doesn't come um well if you, if you genuinely have a passion for it and you genuinely enjoy it you won't burn out i think what... well well i did almost burn out like a few few months ago i was just doing too much i was yes i was doing the gigs i loved but then i was also picking up like bar gigs which aren't as fun because you may be playing for like four or five hours to a crowd that aren't necessarily engaged so it's kind of like a bit of a slog in that sense mm -hmm. and I don't really do bar gigs anymore just because I don't have time and I've you know I've got my my full-time job but um I did a few that weekend a lot actually in the one day different bar gigs mm -hmm. and it was just mental but I also had a gig the night before like a club gig and then a club gig the night before two club gigs and sorry the next night even 
one gig bar shifts and it was just it was three days of just too much yeah. and i really felt burnt out and i think the following weekend i had gigs too and i was like nah I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, like obviously I knew like it was just like the me feeling like overwhelmed, and I knew I loved it. Obviously I was never going to quit, but I was just like, Frankie, you need to stop taking on these bar gigs, mm-hmm. and I haven't. I've been trying to not to because it's just it's it does take the joy out of it. Um, so yeah, I'm trying not to do that so much and just do the the, the kind of the fun ones. And but yeah, you're right. When you do have a passion for something, it's kind of it, you don't burn out as much. And people do say that to me. They're like, Wow, how do you how do you do it? You know I me. Mean? How do you do these gigs every weekend? And then you've got your day job. And but it's because I love it. I love it so much, and I love going out. I'd go out anyway, so why not DJ on top of that? Yeah. But um, so I, yeah, I do love it. It's great. And you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it. I think that I was talking to Adrian Barker, who was on the podcast before you actually. I think this uh, that episode will be released or releasing sometime. But he was talking about people that go into social media, YouTube, or businesses. And they go down the route that they think people want to see or they kind of act like how they think they should be perceived. So they might watch a YouTuber and then act like that YouTuber on their YouTube. And within a year or two, they've burnt out because they don't actually love it and it's not actually them. Yeah. Whereas I think, or from what I can see, your music is very you. Yeah. And you and your sister work amazingly well together. Thank you. And you kind of produce this such like unique sounds I'm not just saying that. I listen to this kind of music, so I can't okay. know that. Um, that that you do love it, and you can tell that you love it. Yeah, no, I do, and yeah, thank you for saying that. I mean, it is it is unique. Like it is, it is quite unique, and I think there's longevity in that. And I've said that before, but um, you don't don't try and mold yourself to anybody else. And that's the same. That goes the same as journalism. It's the exact same thing. Like, don't try and present or report in a way that you've seen someone else do. Mm. Stay true to you. And I think that comes across a lot in broadcasting. Be yourself. Do it naturally. That's what people can respond respond better to. Yeah. Um. And that's what I try to do. I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I'm somewhat of a novice, to be honest, when it comes to the reporting things. But it's uh, I do try and just stay true to what I'm like as a person. And I think that's a good way to gain a rapport with whoever you're interviewing. Just if you do it the way, you know, you are. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's certain certain situations, like it works. If it's meant to be for a comedic comedic value, yeah. You know what I mean? Do something that's maybe a bit mad. Yeah. But that's not my style. Yeah. And talk to me about Polka Dot Disco Club. Yeah, Polka Dot Disco Club. Passion um, project. Yeah, an event that event series that we're kind of running started a wee while ago. It was more of a workshop series at the time, teaching women to dj and it's developed into this event series that we've got now so um yeah doing that at berkeley quite a lot it's berkeley suite in glasgow i love that venue it's so great berkeley um, suite's amazing so cute I love it's just berkeley like suite. this amazing wee basement and it just it mm. looks like i don't even know what it looks like it's, it's like a kind of like speakeasy function suite yeah. like but really retro cool vibes I, I love it i remember the first time i was in there i was like, i really want to play here mm. um and obviously eventually i did so it was great and get to play on events there now which is even better but um so we do that roughly every two months it's built by monthly thing that we do our next gig is tomorrow um but by the time this podcast goes out obviously that's not going to be the case but um super excited about that and yeah um got an event coming up at sub club which i'm very excited about um so that will be the 21st of july and that's our first event there too um but yeah so it's um it's great because we do bring like women trans and non-binary people 
into these spaces like Barclays we give them a platform and and empower them and champion them um in an industry that perhaps doesn't always do that mm. so that's what we aim to do and yeah it's 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 going great it's just fun you know what i mean yeah. I, I really enjoy it it's brilliant um and doing it with my sisters another thing yet i do with my sister i'll be sick of her by the time this is over but um, <laughs> no it's great it's That's a good thing to have someone you rely on that you love you know your sister and you obviously have a close connection close bond and the fact you can share a passion together is really quite special yeah it's great i mean she's not going anywhere you know what i mean like it's mm. it's not like a friend where you know you might fall out and then that's that it's like the, you know what i mean we we'll fall out we will definitely fall out and we do but you know what i mean it's like it's that sisterly love family love it you can't really replace it can you it's just it's, it's it's there um and i think because we are twins we do share a lot of same visions we've got the same vision in a lot of senses like mm. we just got the artwork through today for our event on the 21st of july it's beautiful we get, we got four different ones like four different ideas um that were amazing artist was working on veronica she's so talented so she sent us them and me and my sister both said yeah we like the same one which is <laughs> interesting because veronica liked another one do you agree on everything most stuff a lot of stuff yeah yeah we do we actually do like we do um or if we don't initially agree one of us will kind of explain our th thoughts and then we're like actually yeah yeah makes sense yeah so you know we do and that's why things are it's, it's really good kind of working with her but then sometimes you know perhaps we're both just wrong <laughs> i mean maybe that artwork isn't that great um and the other one's better but no i think i think veronica's done a great job so we're really excited to to put that out as well um that gig i know i'll need to come to that 21st of july you please that'll be great yeah awesome. let's do some filming <laughs> yeah well why not um but yeah it's it'll be good um yeah. And I think that's the thing is with the Berkeley Suite, we've always done like a three before 12 and five or six pound afterwards. And that is because we've been um, really trying to get who, like anyone down. Like, you know, we don't want there to be barriers from monetary ba barriers or whatever. We want anyone to be able to enjoy our nights yeah. um, and Berkeley Suite. So, you know, whilst we do have this gig coming up at Sub Club, we're still going to continue with the Berkeley Suite. They're both yeah. amazing cl clubs. Um, for di for a different reason, Berkeley is just such good vibes. It's just so nice, and like the staff have always been so welcoming and accommodating for us, and and it's just it's a really great location. I think because it is like a little corner, like you know, it's that little mm. nugget of the city that it's just kind of your own little little vibe, and you have got the locale and Chinaskis. So that little street is just chef's kiss. So no, I love it. So I'm very excited for tomorrow. And on a kind of final note, if you had to give an aspiring DJ that was looking at you your advice in a couple of words what, what, what do you think it would be oh a couple of words that's one thing i'm not very good at a couple of sentences <laughs> um best advice to someone starting out would you say um as a dj be delusional but quietly delusional i like that you know what i mean don't go telling people you're gonna headline tomorrowland mm -hmm. but believe it in yourself and i think that's important believing in yourself belief in yourself and staying true to yourself i've said this in the podcast earlier on don't try and emulate anyone else and persevere i think most people do make it do, most people will succeed if they just keep at it um be humble it's really important to be humble especially no matter how like big you get really remember where you came from mm. be kind 
I think that's a really important one that people forget. Just be nice, just be kind, um, be polite in terms of like, you know, courtesy behind the decks, you know, if you're playing before someone or after someone, don't be like, right, okay, that's you done. I'm going mm. on now. Like, no, just, you know what I mean? Like, we're all just kind of enjoying it. You're in it together. Yeah, don't, just be, be polite. There's etiquette, there's etiquette behind the decks. So make sure you kind of stick to that. And um, yeah, build people up and don't compare yourself. That was more than a few words. But... No, it's good. I think that the kindness thing is very reflective of you. You know, I've not seen you in what, seven, eight years? Oh, seven. Let's not make us that old. <laughs> or six. So come on. Seven years. And I, I text you literally out of the blue. I, I fired you a message on um, Instagram and, and you were so kind for you to take the time and come through and sit with us and talk about your career is so lovely and amazing oh thank you thank you for that no you're welcome you're very welcome anytime thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the into the mind podcast if you've enjoyed or got any nuggets of information from anywhere i'd really appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button that like button whatever the button is, wherever you are, I'd really appreciate that. Remember that Chisholm Hunter are our sponsors and I'm genuinely proud that Chisholm Hunter can be our sponsors to represent that brand that I so proudly wear. Thank you guys so much again for watching and we'll see you soon.